This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Cast episode 657 Astronomy Naming Schemes. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts based journey through the cosmos where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. I'm Fraser Kane, the publisher of Universe Today. I've been a space and astronomy journalist for over 20 years, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a senior scientist for the Planetary Science Institute and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I am doing well. How are you doing? Good. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah. Every year we record on a, on a Canadian Thanksgiving because we record on Mondays and it's always on Mondays. And I always lord over you how much superior Canadian Thanksgiving is to U.S. Thanksgiving for one reason. Go ahead. Weather. It's That true. we hold our Thanksgiving a month earlier... Yes. And that means that the weather is going to be better. And so if people are flying, it is less mayhem uh, just because the, you're just going to have milder weather. And so people can, can make, make the journey without it just being horrible snowstorms and, and, and such. And, and once again, we're, you know, we're having a drought here in Western Canada. So if anybody wanted to fly, be easy flying yeah. to get out here to Western Canada. But, but yeah. So happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I guess we'll take off U.S. Thanksgiving, but um, yes. but we'll work through Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> but but I I still think they're going to launch SLS on American Thanksgiving, which means we will be mm. working. Right. At least I'll be working. <laughs> right. Of course, they absolutely will be launching SLS on on some kind of holiday. Space is a big place with lots of galaxies, stars, planets, moons, and that means a lot of names. So how do astronomers name stuff like comets, asteroids, exoplanets, craters? All right, uh, everything's got a name. So I guess let, let's start with the the easy stuff, the the stuff that we've known the names of for antiquity. Where do we get those names from? So, so do you, do you mean things like? Planets? Yeah, the planets, bright stars, the moon, (laughs) the sun, (laughs) right? These things have names. Where did they come from? So so the original names for the the planets that we use in the English language, uh, they they simply come 
basically from the Greek and Roman names for them. And, and so we have uh, Saturn is a Roman god. We have Jupiter is a Roman god. But these are the Romanized versions of the Greek gods' names. So right. uh, we basically just fell back on the names the Romans stole and changed and kept them for ourselves. But, but what about names like the moon or well, the sun? Well, the earth. Yeah, that that is, again, just ancient language where I I am not the kind of anthropologist that can explain these truly ancient words that. Right. Yeah. I mean, earth is the dirt under our feet. The fact that it's a planet that we stand upon. Uh, that yeah. one took a hot minute to figure out. But I, th- I think it's funny, right? Like I get emails all the time from people and that. Uh, saying like, you know, what is the name of the moon? Uh, you know, yeah. and I say, it's the moon. Yeah. And then someone will comment like, no, 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 it's Luda. But that's not <laughs> true. That's, that's just, just another, another language, language. In another yeah. language. Yeah. Yeah. The sun, you know, so whatever you want to call it, earth, terra, just another word. In another. And, and the reason is because we didn't know there were others. Right. And so, and so it's just like, of course, it's the moon. It's a name for the thing that's in the sky. And you don't realize that it's actually a classification of objects. Antiquity, they always just thought it was the thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I find that really funny. Well, and what gets really amazing is when we start looking at stars, there are some stars whose names linguists think are so old that they go back to like pre distribution of humans all over the planet's time. Wow. That's really interesting. The, the idea that there are stellar names that go back prior to homo sapiens diaspora from Africa. Like that's a phrase I never thought I would be saying, but the stars it's have interesting. been an integral part of our lives for that long. But but there are, I mean, in the West, a lot of yes. our names come from Arabic astronomers. Yes. As well as like Sumerian and like, again, just cultures that are thousands of years old. In some cases, we still use those those names. And, and in some cases, it's just lost to antiquity. And then every every society, I mean, people in China have names for the different stars that they have, again, from antiquity. And probably, you know, I'm sure the Aztecs had their names for everything as well. And, and luckily, there were only a few thousands of naked eye stars for astronomers or astrologers or whatever they were in whatever culture, magi. Uh, there, there were only 1,500 to 2,000 uh, stars that could be seen and cataloged by the naked eye, and not all of those had common names. So we have a few stars like Betelgeuse, Cirrus, that have mm-hmm. these names that are words. And everything else, luckily, just got cataloged. I wish we could kind of go back and look at the names that every culture has given the yeah. same star and and then be able to present them as like a 
a menu and go like, I like this one the best. I'm sure there's some really cool names that the, um, the, the Aboriginals in, in, in Australia came up with for stars and things like that. It'd be great to sort of have the whole list. I wonder if anyone's built a cross-cultural list. Yes. Yes. I'm yes. like exploding with vibrations here, waiting to okay. say yes. Okay. The international- anyway, I, it's a problem. <laughs> where I guess we'll never know. Go ahead. So the International Astronomical Union uh, has a committee on stellar names that is working to collect the names from various cultures around the world so that we don't lose these names. And in in places like New Zealand, where they're working so hard to to commemorate the people whose land that they stay on who are still alive and still there you can actually go to museums and buy star charts that have the uh the maori people's names for stuff they they are working to keep this information that could so easily have been lost and software like stellarium will even let you turn on and off the constellations of different cultures yeah, I mean, there's going to be some badass names for some of the objects in the sky, and I think we should be able yeah. to settle in on a on a cross cultural collection that is yes. only the only the coolest names. Anyway, uh, so then objects that have been discovered in modern times. Yes. I'm thinking about the extra planets, the moons, and etc. How does that naming scheme work? Well, those those are a couple of very different time periods that these rules ended up coming from. Uh, so, so what we have uh, for for Jupiter initially, Jupiter, uh, it was the wives of Jupiter and mistresses as well that the names were drawn from. So, so Jupiter is literally being circled by mistresses which just amuses me to no end but but as they got further and further down they did eventually run out of mistresses names to use uh so these are all names that are drawn from mythology with saturn you have shakespearean names kick in at a certain point Hmm. um and and so each world has its own slightly different sets of rules and with worlds that have surfaces that we can define features on it it gets kind of crazy so for europa you have the chaos uh terrain that is named after celtic myths uh you have craters that are named after celtic gods and heroes ring features are named after celtic stone circles so you see how astronomers latch on a theme and go down the rabbit hole right the mythology rabbit hole features very strongly across the naming schemes for the solar system and sometimes it's not just mythology with with mars one of my favorite details is small craters are named after places on earth with a population less than a hundred thousand hmm i wonder if there's a courtney crater out there then there, there could be, or you could go name one or propose guess, the IU, the name so. of one. I guess so, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, we're going to talk about this some more, but it's time for a break. And now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Being an astronomer doesn't get easier with age. Do you remember that stress back in high school of trying out for a sports team or the school play? 
and knowing not everyone would be chosen. In astronomy, we go through that over and over as we apply for grants, try and get papers published, and just do our best to find a way to stay employed in a highly competitive field. There are days when it's really hard for me to focus on building that next image processing tool when part of my brain is fixated on, will we get that funding to do that next cool thing? It would be super easy to lose track of why I'm here, to do astronomy, as I fixate on issues I have no control over, like federal spending on NASA and... Sometimes I give in to that temptation and I go down the rabbit hole of Twitter and despair. I have really good friends that I work with and we try to keep each other on track. But sometimes you need more than a friend or a colleague. Sometimes a professional therapist is the right person to ask for help. As I've talked about before, partway through the pandemic, I realized I needed help. Laying awake way too late listening to podcasts, I heard an ad like this one, and I learned that BetterHelp offers fully online services that could help me get back on track. A few clicks later, I was signing up for their affordable therapy plans. A quick survey allowed their software to match me with the right person for me. And if it hadn't been the right person, I could have switched. It was all so convenient. With both text-based help and real-time Zoom-style online sessions available, BetterHelp got me through and allowed me to keep sciencing while living through all the weirdness the past three years have thrown our way. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com astronomy today to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash astronomy. And we're back. Now, you've said this is the name for that, and those are the names for these, and they're getting their official name. So who decides what the names are? There, there are a variety of different committees within the International Astronomical Union, which is a global union of scientists that works in collaboration with the United Nations, actually, in a lot of different things. And um, there, there's the Planetary Naming Conventions Group. There's the Asteroid or Minor Planet Naming Conventions Group. Uh, there's the, the Stars Naming Group. And, and the fact that these are all separate committees under different parts of the IAU sort of came to a nasty head in 2006 because Michael Brown had discovered a new large Mm -hmm. object out in the Kuiper belt that was potentially larger than Pluto. And the question was, does it get to be named by the Icy Objects Minor Planet Naming Committee or does it get to be named by the Planetary Naming Committee? Whoa. And, and like you're talking about Eris here. Yeah. yeah. And it comes down to they had to have a definition of what a planet is so they knew which committee got to approve the name. That's crazy. Are you, <laughs> is, that, is that real? Is that, is that, 
So, so the reason why whether or not Pluto is a planet had to come to a vote was because they needed to decide who got to name Eris. Well, it it is slightly more complex. No, it no, was, no, no, no. It feels it as simple the, as that. It was the realization that we don't have a definition of what makes a planet, and both groups mm-hmm. wanted yeah. dominance over this object. Right. And, and so they so forced the vote. Yeah, they forced a vote, and they came up with a terrible definition. Why did you never tell me this before? I'm sure I did at some no, point. No, 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 no. We I we talked. No, I well, it's not that you fail, but it's just like <laughs> you buried the lead. Um, we like this is the chain of events. Mike Brown finds an object. The object is Plut- is Pluto sized. Therefore, theoretically, it's planet sized. Yeah. Who gets to name it? The two yeah. groups, it, because it's not a, it, it falls somewhere between those two groups. They had to decide whether it was a planet or not, and if it's a planet or not, then Pluto's a planet or not. Right. And wow. Anyway, isn't um, that delicious? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> there are certain members of the I, I love Pluto community that are just raging right now. I, um, I refer to it as Pluto Planet Classic. Yeah, um, me as uh, having absolutely no dog in this fight. Uh, don't care at all. I okay. my my emotion neither rises nor falls with I'm any mention of Pluto's pro or or non planethood. I do, but I do find it funny that that this is the story. Um, yeah. So so, uh, I mean, you get but but the names like Maki Maki, Eris. Those came, those were suggested by Brown, by Mike Brown. They, so the way it works is the the people who find the objects get to propose names, mm, okay. but they don't get to uh, say outright, these are the names. Got they it. have to propose the names, fill out paperwork, submit the paperwork, the committee has to meet, the committee has to approve, and thus you get a world that has been named. All right. All right. Let's move on then. Um, Let's talk about comets. How do comets get their name? So comets are fairly straightforward. They get the name of the humans that found them, the year that they were discovered. And depending on which nomenclature you're looking at, you may see additional letters and numbers that have to do with Uh, Are they periodic or non-periodic comets? One of the problems we run into is comet nomenclature, as well as minor planet naming nomenclature, got revised. And so if you're looking at something from like the 1980s, or if you're looking at something from the 2000s, you're going to see different ways of stating the nomenclature. So take an example comet and break it down for me. Um, Comet Haley. Named strictly after Haley. Right. Uh, but I think Comet Haley, for example, is a bad example because Haley didn't find it. It had been known for hundreds of years and it had been coming back again and again. So I guess a bad example. Like it should have been com- it should have been Comet, that Comet we've all seen for a long time and talked about. No one ever really put a name to it. So, so the thing is, we didn't know what comets were before Haley put one and many together and got an orbit. Uh, right. Haley looked through history and found that 
every 70 something years, this bright tailed object streaked through the sky. But that's just accounting. That's, that's not like noticing a comet for the first. I'm saying Haley should lose his naming rights for the comet. It should be stripped. But like we don't know who the first That's the historian's pre diaspora human to notice the comet was. Not my problem. I'm just gonna keep saying diaspora today. Yeah. Yeah. So so that is a historian's problem. I'm just saying that Haley getting the comet named after him is uh is illegitimate and should be stripped. Uh but do you know all of the IAU have that fight? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to present my case. But a modern comet, like Heakutake or Hale-Bopp, now those are brand new comets that nobody's ever seen before. Right. Those those are, again, from from some of the earlier nomenclature where they're named after the discoverer. It gets more chaotic with modern comets, but since Panstars is finding most of them, we are glad for the chaos. Right. So, for instance, there is Comet 2017 K2 Panstars. Perfect. Okay, so that's a, that's a jumble of information. What does that mean? Yes. So that means... It's, it was found in 2017. Uh, the K2 starts to give you information on the where in a given month and which number in a given month it is that it was found. And PanStars is the discoverer. So in this case, it's just it's a the robot. telescope survey. Yeah, right. yeah, it's kind of Eat boring. Boop. Right. It's a robot. So, so, so comets. So would you say that accurately the comets are named after robots? Yes. And okay. I'm okay with this. Yeah, I'm all right with that. That's fine. I mean, this really should smooth over the robot, the rise <laughs> of the robots. Like when they come to dismantle us for our atomic parts, we'll say, whoa, 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 we named all these comets after you. And they'd be like, you humans. Oh, shucks. All right. No matrix for you. No termination. Uh, we'll live in peace and harmony till the end of time. I, I don't think it's going to work that simply, but... It's, I it's hope worth a shot. Right. It's worth a it's shot. It's worth a shot. Yeah. All right. So, so now for the best part. We've talked about comets. Let's talk about asteroids. How do asteroids get their name? <sighs> My dog just sighed as well. Mm, good. Um, so, so asteroids get their name basically in the order they have been found. So it it's asteroid one, two, mm. three, four, and then sometimes, if they're a lucky asteroid, <laughs> someone decides to grant them a name. Yeah. And again, the name has to be approved of by an International Astronomical Union Committee. But in the past, we didn't have this committee. So you can go and look up like the earliest discovered uh, asteroids and, and they... They have the number and the name, and the IAU was not involved. Ceres, Vesta, they were just named. But that's interesting. So when you see four Vesta or one Ceres or whatever, when you see the number, you know that it is... What order it was found in. What order it was found in. And so, for example, asteroid, I don't know, uh, 158,092. We haven't got that that high yet, but Yes, we have. We absolutely have. have. Yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. 158,000. 092, um, asteroid Fraser Kane, 
uh, was the 150,092 second asteroid that was discovered. All right. All right. Fair. So, Fair enough. Now, how did, how did it get the Fraser Kane part of its name? So either the person who discovered it or if it got ignored long enough, someone who noticed that it had been ignored long enough submitted to the IAU that this asteroid deserves a name. And this name I am proposing commemorates someone who is good and noble and has done excellent things and has a name that is absolutely not controversial. Right. And so in this case, Jeff Metcalf, the blue collar scientist uh, who passed away... In 2008. years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, was a prolific asteroid discoverer and named asteroids after a whole bunch of people in the science and in science communication community. Yeah, yeah. You got me. Got, Plate, Phil, got your name. Emily Lochtewala, but missed you, and we're always sorry. So, yeah. if anyone's listening to this and you discover asteroids, like throw a bone to Pamela. Come on, she could, she could, she could really use an asteroid named after her. Well, um, yeah. But but so the point being, Jeff discovered the asteroid, got to got to provide the name, and it was it was like it's not like he got to suggest the name to the community. It was more like if if he had said something trolling or they hateful, then they could have stripped it. it but it, yeah. that was going to be the name because I guess there are so many asteroids being discovered all the time. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> that's really cool. Now, what about exoplanets? So exoplanets, uh, we haven't started giving them other than uh, occasionally a research team will bestow a name upon something they find, but those I don't believe are considered official anywhere. Uh, They get names that are lowercase a, b, c, d, e, Mm -hmm. um, according to their distance or their discovery order from their main star. So if we end up finding something later that is closer in, then things get to be a jumbled mess. Luckily, we it's usually easiest to find the thing that's innermost. But there is no so, A. The A is the star. Right. 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 So, if, so if you say you have Pegasi 51, the first planet Actually, ever I'm discovered. Gonna check, I'm going to fact check that one because this is a lowercase and there's Tau Booby. Okay, because my understanding, like, like you've got fifty-one peg B, and that was really the first planet orbiting a sun-like star that was ever found in nineteen ninety-five, and that's the B. And so then the and so the first one found is the letter, and but if they find a bunch at the same time, then they typically will do them from the inside out. But then, but the the category. Like the the actual name, like Gliza, the um, Trappist, though Kepler, like those are coming from the telescope. So it's essentially it's the telescope is the first part of the name, Gliza, whatever the star catalog. Then it is the designation in the catalog. So fifty seven, eighty one, whatever. And then it is the the letter designation, which is the which is the planet, and okay. whether it's closest to the star or first discovered. Because like 
there are probably more planets in the, say, the 51 peg system than the one that we know of, the hot Jupiter that we know of, but they're just too faint to see. And so do you shift everything if you find more? No, you just, if you find a closer one, now it's C, and then it includes that D, and then one in between those two, that'll be E. So it's really in the order that they were found. But if you can find a bunch at the same time, yes. then you then you just, you like the Trappist planets, then you put them all in a row nicely. You, you are entirely correct. And the reason I had to take a moment to be confused is multi-star systems. Right. So, it's capital, cap- though, right? Yeah. And this yeah. is where the capital versus the lowercase comes into play. So back in my slacker astronomy days, we took great delight in the discovery of a planet in the... Talbudis system orbiting the primary star, which is A. So it is legitimate to either say Talbudis capital A lowercase b mm-hmm. or to simply say Talbudis B, but you really always just abbreviate it. So it's Talbubi. And <laughs> I'm apparently an eight-year-old and still take delight in that. So if it's the primary star of a binary system, you can omit the letter. If it's a secondary, tertiary, whatever star in a multi-star system, it would be uh, the the star designator. So that's usually a number and then for bright stars. So Bayesian number, the constellation name, the capital letter of the star in the multi-star system when the letter is not A, followed by the lowercase right. letter. And then you're also going to see the names of stars, galaxies, pulsars, things like that. And it's going to be a jumble of numbers and letters. That just comes from but some star catalog. Meaning. Those have sure. meaning. Two mass. Um, yes, the HD. Yeah, they do have meaning. They, they're named after the catalog. But the license plate that follows the catalog actually has meaning. Mm, Right. So so the NGC numbers don't so much have meaning. Those are just kind of the order they got listed and were discovered. And those go all the way back to, like, when Herschel, all three of them were cataloging things. So William Herschel, his younger sister Carolyn Herschel, his son John Herschel, they all helped contribute to the new general catalog. That's how old the new general catalog is. But modern catalogs, so so for instance, if if you're looking at a uh, a Bell galaxy cluster, you have the Bell number, which is the order in which it was found. And if there's an S in front of it, that means it's a Southern Hemisphere system um, ID. So it's a bell, no letter means northern hemisphere, S in front of it means uh, southern hemisphere. But a bell, for instance, S0295 is also cataloged as RXCJ0245.45302. Right. And that means that it is the uh, object that was found in the... Chandra mapping of the region that has that particular Julian uh, right. date, so J two thousand 
a coordinate describing where it is. And they usually only give the RA part of that license plate. But if you go to the actual catalog, it will then have either a plus or a minus and give you the declination as well. And so you could see the name of the object and know where to find it in the sky, as opposed to having to look up a catalog, find the location of the object. You can just find it there in the name. But what if they they drift over time? That's a terrible naming scheme. So no, no, no. So the reason that they have that J in front or they have a B, which means the, the 1950s coordinate system, that letter that you have in front tells you when that position is good for. And so we know when it has a J in front of it, those coordinates are completely right for 2000 on the specific date that the calendar is set mm-hmm. to zero on. And, and it's the same for the 1950. Yeah, you can just modify based on the, on the, on the clock. All right. We could do this all day. The point being, if you see a great big jumble of letters and numbers after some object, that is the astronomers attempting to communicate important information about the object's location right there in the name, which is is smart, but also incomprehensible for the rest of us attempting to to read it. All right. Thank you, Pamela. (laughs) Thank you, Fraser. And uh, thank you to everyone out there who helped support this show. Uh, this week, I would like to thank Alexis, William Baker, Wanderer M101, uh, Zero Chill, Felix Goot, Astro Zetz, William Andrews, Gold, Roland Vormerdam, Jeff Collins, Simon Parton, Kellyanne and David Parker, Jeremy Kerwin, Stuart Mills, Rob Cuff, Harold Berderhagen, Philip Walker, Daniel Loosely, Matthew Horstman, Alex Cohen, Marco Ayarasi, David Gates, Scott Bieber, Rando, Disastrina, Scott Cohn, Kinsaya Panflenko, Jim Schooler, and Justin Proctor. Thank you all so much for all you do to help support our show. Thank you. And we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye, everyone. Astronomy Cast is a joint product of Universe Today and the Planetary Science Institute. Astronomy Cast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. So love it, share it, and remix it. But please credit it to our hosts, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can get more information on today's show topic on our website, astronomycast.com. This episode was brought to you thanks to our generous patrons on Patreon. If you want to help keep this show going, please consider joining our community at patreon.com slash astronomycast. Not only do you help us pay our producers a fair wage, you will also get special access to content right in your inbox and invites to online events. We are so grateful to all of you who have joined our Patreon community already. Anyways, keep looking up. This has been Astronomy Cast. Hurry into Ram Power Days and experience the raw power of the Ram 3500 with available best-in-class torque and towing among 350-3500 pickups when properly equipped. Strap yourself in for one powerful ride in the Ram TRX with the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built. Or the Ram 1500, awarded number one in driver appeal among light-duty pickups by J.D. Power three years in a row. Hurry into Ram Power Days going on now. For J.D. Power 2022 U.S. award information, visit jdpower.com awards.